towards us. And I've subtitled today's sermon, Where Do You Draw the Line? I'll come back to that later, but I wanted just to begin by putting that out there, putting those words out there, where do you draw the line? In Greek, the word hospitality is philozenia, which translates directly as a love towards strangers or foreigners. That emphasis on strangers, foreigners specifically, is interesting. A dictionary definition of hospitality is somewhat broader. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. In biblical terms, hospitality is the act of giving friendship to a visitor, whether they are familiar or unfamiliar. In the ancient Near East, hospitality was a key element of the culture and the customs of the day. However, for Israel, it went deeper than that. We see a motivation for hospitality which was distinctly God-centered. Perhaps the clearest text is Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, which says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What is the motivation for hospitality here? The instruction is to love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. But there is more to it than merely a sympathetic response. What follows is, I am the Lord your God. Those words, I am the Lord your God, are full of hidden meaning because they are the very first words of the first commandment in Exodus 20. Any good Israelite would have been able to finish the sentence. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am the Lord your God, which occurs a dozen times in Leviticus 19, is shorthand for, I am Yahweh, who came to you when you were oppressed aliens in Egypt and saved you. For the people of God in the Old Testament, the duty of hospitality came right from the center of who God is. I am the Lord your God who made a home for you and did everything necessary so that you could be brought there. And so the implied message is, love the stranger because although you were once strangers, you aren't anymore because of what God has done. So hospitality to strangers is an acknowledgement of, a way of remembering God's grace. Grace is the hospitality of God to welcome sinners, to welcome us not because of any virtue on our part, but because of his initiative of love. For those of us who were not born into Jewish homes, this welcome is particularly significant. In Ephesians, Paul writes, Remember that you were at that time, he means before Jesus, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But... Paul goes on to write, because of the reconciling work of Jesus, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and wanderers, but you are fellow citizens and members of the household of God. Our hospitality is a reflection of the nature of God, and in reflecting him, all acts of hospitality become acts of worship. In the Gospels, we see again that theme of hospitality emerging. 
during his public ministry, Jesus and his disciples depended entirely on the hospitality of others as they ministered from town to town. We can only imagine the shared home-cooked meals and the deep conversations that went on late into the night in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Bethany, the place perhaps where Jesus felt most at home. And Matthew 10, 9 and 10, describes Jesus' instructions to his disciples as he sends them out to model that, that life of dependence, not to take provisions, money, or backup supplies for the journey, but to discern homes of welcome and to rely on the hospitality of people on the way. This would have been quite commonplace, of course, before hospitality became an industry. Travelers would have been dependent on people along their journey, as inns were rare and expensive. And likewise, we see the early Christians, and especially missionaries like Paul and Silas and Barnabas and, and John Mark, who depended on the hospitality of other believers to support them as they worked for the gospel. And this generous provision would also have included, for example, homes that were made open for church services. The church met in homes. That was somebody's home where they all gathered together. And the writings of the New Testament are full of commands and encouragements to share, to respond to the needs of others, to welcome the stranger, and to break down the barriers. I don't think it would be stretching the truth to say that Christianity would probably not have survived the first few centuries had it not been for the distinctive characteristics of hospitality and generosity of the people of the early church. When I think back over the course of my own life, I recognize that I too have experienced so much generosity, such hospitality and kindness. When I was working in London in my 20s, I went to HTB, as most foreigners did, and one Sunday after church, a couple um, that I didn't know at all, they didn't know me, invited me to lunch at their home, along with a couple of other young people from church. It was a random act of hospitality, which really stuck in my mind. When I joined an OM mission in Devon in the early 2000s, the members of St. Matthias Church in Torquay hosted members of the mission team in their homes, and I stayed with a lovely lady whose name was Wendy Hastings. When I left, she gave me a cross-stitch sign, a welcome sign, which, which actually hangs at the front door of our home now, a reminder of her hospitality and an encouragement to imitate it. When we were in Nottingham at Theological College, an older couple that we had met at our placement church invited us to Easter lunch. But as I had begun to show the signs of the long, slow labor that would eventually, three days later, produce William, they told us to stay put. They parceled up their lunch and they brought it round to us. It struck me as I was writing um, these examples that spring to mind are often those that occurred when we were far away from home, when we were strangers in a strange land. And that gives them a special significance. But closer to home, we have shared wonderful meals in so many homes. Kind people have shared cars, holiday cottages, and timeshare expertise, advice, and resources with us. We've been extraordinarily blessed by the open-handed hospitality of so many people. On the screen this morning, I hope, yes, there we are, is an icon of the Trinity. Icons are pictures which lead us to worship. Not worship, the picture, but the God of whom the picture reveals something. This icon was used at the reflection station in our recent prayer vigil, and I really like it because it speaks of God 
in the Trinity, relational. The person's leaning into each other in a sign of unity and intimacy, and yet still open with space for others to join in, drawing me in to share and be a part of their fellowship. Hospitality is essential to the nature of God. And as it is on the nature of God, so are we called to become people of whom hospitality is an essential part. We are called not to do certain things, but to be a certain kind of people. Romans 12, 13 says, practice hospitality. To practice is not a one-off activity. A practice is a habit, a well-formed routine. The verb implies continuous ongoing action. Hospitality is to be a constant attitude and practice. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 and 9 says, Above all, hold unfailing your love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. In other words, the command to be hospitable is not just a command to do something. It is not just a command that can be legalistically fulfilled with a quota of guests. It is a command to be the type of person who doesn't resent having to be hospitable, the kind of person who doesn't look at the extra dishes and the laundry and mutter. Let your hospitality be an extension, an overflow of God's hospitality to you. Be a good steward of God's grace is the next verse in that reading from Peter. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says, Brother, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So Romans said that we should be consistent or, or persi- constant or persistent in our, in our practice of hospitality. And Hebrews says the same thing backwards, back to front. Don't neglect it. Evidently, it's something which can fall into neglect. The physical force of gravity pulls everything to the center of the earth. And in order to break free from this earth-centered reality, an object, a rocket or a satellite, must expend energy, quite a lot of it, to push away from the center. And there is also a psychological force of gravity that constantly pulls our thoughts and our affections and our actions inwards to the center of our own selves and our own homes. And therefore, the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality. It's the path of least resistance. It requires the least energy. All we have to do is yield to the gravity of our own self-centered life, and the result will be a life so full of self that there's no room for hospitality. We will forget about it. We will neglect it. And so the Bible says, practice hospitality. Stop neglecting hospitality. Build a launch pad, fill up your boosters, and blast out of your self-oriented routine. If we see our hospitality as a function of the kingdom, there are ways in which we can also be strategic in our hospitality. Strategic hospitality is not content to have the same old clan over and over for dinner again. A hospitality that thinks strategically is asking, How can I draw the greatest number of people into a deep experience of God's hospitality by the use of my home or my home church? Think Alpha. Who is battle-weary right now and needs reinforcements? Who are the people who could be brought together in my home most strategically for for the sake of the kingdom? 
what conversations and contacts could lead to new opportunities for mission and ministry. And so I return to my original question, where do you draw the line? My father says that children's natural instincts are to love. I'm not entirely sure I agree with him. There's nothing to improve your understanding of the concept of original sin, quite like sharing a house with some small children. But I think the point that he is making is that children's instincts are to trust and love the people around them, and that they are taught, mostly by adults, to draw lines at the edge of their family, at the edges of their community, at the edges of their school or race group or culture or nation, and so on. The story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan teaches us that neighbor has nothing to do with geography, citizenship, or race. And so we must answer the question, where do we draw the line? The gospel breaks down the barriers between us, between Jews and Gentiles, male and female, between classes, between cultures, between those of different wealth or status. And the lines widen and widen and widen, ultimately taking in all of humanity. Don't ever underestimate the power of your living room as a launch pad for new life and hope and ministry and mission. When we practice hospitality, we experience the joy of becoming conduits of God's hospitality. We experience the thrill of feeling God's power conquer our own fears and stinginess and our psychological gravity to self-centeredness. And we begin to rub out some of the lines. We begin to experience the liberating power of God's hospitality, making us a new and radically different kind of person. Amen.